Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Welcome back, listeners. This is Octavius Parables. Uh, we are reading Parable of the Talents by Octavia E. Butler, and we are on chapter 12 this episode. I am your co-host, Adrian Marie Brown. I'm Toshi Regan. And as always, we just want to see if there's any announcements. I think <laughs> I said this a while ago that holding change, the way of emergent strategy, uh, facilitation and mediation was going to be out in April. Um, the original publishing date was April 6th, and it got pushed back to May 25th. But I just got a top secret email that the books have been printed and they're shipping. So I think I can confidently say <laughs> by the time you hear this recording, the book will be out in the world and you can grab a copy, um, especially if you are someone who's doing social justice facilitation or mediation or wants to do that or wants to know what to look for in that kind of work. So um, it's myself and a bunch of Black feminists sharing our our best practices around uh, facilitation and mediation. Yeah, so I think that's all the things we need to know. So here we are in chapter 12. We're moving into another chapter that is incredibly difficult and want to continuously give both the trigger warning, but also, you know, our guess is that you're this deep in um, on purpose. Uh, so it's more just to like be intentional, be mindful about leaning into this work um, it may it may move you a lot. It may bring up things. It may bring up memories. This one, uh, this episode includes sexual assault and rape um, explicitly. So we just want to be mindful about what we're heading into. Clear your space. Clear yourself. Clear your energy. Keep water nearby. Engage in this as sacred yeah. learning text. Okay. All right, Toshi, uh, take us in. Twelve from Earthsea, the books of the living. Beware, ignorance protects itself. Ignorance promotes suspicion. Suspicion engenders fear. Fear quails irrational and blind, or fear looms defiant and closed. Blind, closed, suspicious, afraid. Ignorance protects itself, and protected ignorance grows. And um, this this chapter I just wrote on my page, Larkin and the life that could have been. They came in the name of the Lord of evil and abuse. And then I just put in, quote, good Christians, <laughs> stealing children, taking them away. And I also put obey, 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 obey a million times on this page. Obey. So Larkin, yeah. that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, Larkin starts us off and now she is talking about herself and not just reflecting on the possibilities of her mother and, and her father. She starts off by saying, I miss Acorn. Of course, I have no memory of being there, but it was where my parents were together and happy during their brief marriage. It was where I was conceived, born and loved by them both. It could have been, should have been where I grew up, since it was where my mother had insisted on staying. 
And even in spite of my father's intentions and my mother's dreams, the place had gone on looking more like a 19th century farming village than a stepping stone towards the destiny. But I wouldn't have minded. It could have been, it couldn't have been as grim as where I grew up. So we're starting to get some um, insight into what Larkin's life was like just a little bit. And um, mm-hmm. Jar- Jared's Crusaders, that is what they call themselves. And, and you know, I just have to say at this point when um, we were doing the opera and I would go and, and do things, people would always think that um, President Trump was Jared. And I was like, no, he's he's not Jared. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they would and they would be like, you know, because yeah. we already have Jared. And I'm like, that's not Jared. I was like, Jared comes, yeah, Jared comes that's not after quite Jared Trump. yet. No. And I and I was like, you know, Jared exactly. comes after the leader who people are like is better than a Trump. And then Jared Jared gains access. Yes. So every time I read this, I'm like, okay. Yes. You know, he comes after he's he's the two twenty twenty four election people, good people, good, good people. My mother was right about the gas. Um, A lot of people died um, from the in that that first initial attack. That's what Zara died of um, the gas. And so they because they were using it so much, they built they got an antidote so that they could give it to children. Um, because they wanted to keep the children. So they want the children to die. So she got that antidote. And that's how come Larkin is alive. From the journals of Lauren Oya Alamina, Thursday, November 24th, 2033. It is Thanksgiving Day and they have a day um, off and they have some extra food and they have some, some rest. Lauren says, should I, should I be thankful to be still alive? I'm not sure. Today is like what a Sunday is usually for them and she's giving us just just the um horrible existence that they have with these um absolutely vile and violent people so they work they work and 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 And then after they work they have to memorize and recite sections of the bible until they can't like keep their eyes open and she is so grateful to be writing they haven't taken like her paper and her, her pencils away from her. And so she is able to do this, but they are not um, permitted to speak to one another. Uh, the people call in their teacher's presence, and that's what they call themselves, teachers. And she says, now I must find a way to write about the past few weeks to tell what has happened to us, just to tell it as though it were sane and rational. I'll do that if for no other reason than to give some order to my scattered thoughts I do need to write about Van Coley. So one thing that she confirms is that all the kids are gone. They're they're not just gone from them, but they're gone from the property. And they've decided to save the kids from their parents and take them to good Christian homes. So this, this is unacceptable. We don't have the language. We don't have the words for how bad this is. And so this is where the obey, 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 song that I'm sure I'm writing in my head is going to, is that, you know, they don't struggle. They don't struggle against this. They, they, their captors tell them to kneel and to pray and to sing and to testify. They do it. She's made it, uh, made it clear to the others through her own behavior that they should obey. Why should anyone resist and risk torture or death? What would be the good of that? They must obey. 
And even though they do obey, the crusaders must have their amusements. In their loving kindness, they use the collars to torture us. This is nothing compared to the fires of hell, they tell us. Learn your lessons or you'll suffer like this for all eternity. How can they do what they do if they believe what they say? So they are in this in this immense pain and torture, and then they watch them um, eating the food that they grew. They watch them um, in their houses, and they get fe- they get fed literal leftovers. What somebody decided not to eat, they get fed terribly. They tell them that none of them were actually married. Um, they weren't married by a, a you know a church of Christian America minister. Therefore, they they're sin- living a life of sin. And the same person who said that. Uh, dragged Diamond Scott off to his cabin and raped her and um, said it was okay because he's a man of God. And Diamond says that if she's pregnant, she will kill herself. And only one of them has done this so far, committed suicide, and it was Emery Mora. Uh, she took revenge for what happened to her husband for the and for the abduction of her two little boys. She seduced one of the, the crusaders one of those who had moved into her own cabin. She convinced him that she was willing and eager to sleep with him. Then sometime during the night, she cut his throat with a knife she had been keeping under the mattress. Then she went into the the crusader that was sleeping in her daughter's room and she cut his throat. And after that, she lay down in her bed beside her first victim and she cut her own wrist. The three of them were found dead the next morning, like gray, Emery had taken substantial revenge. Lauren reflects that she wished she could have stayed alive um, for the sake of her daughters, but she knew she was depressed, and Lauren tried to encourage her to endure. She she was having none of that. So one thing she did teach them is that she could that you could kill your captors. At first, they don't really understand like how she was able to do that, but the spe- they speculate that she probably didn't kill herself right away, that she probably tried to shut off the collars, that she tried to, you know, right. to figure out how to do that. And when she couldn't figure it out, she she did. She did that. So the master control unit of these collars is protected by the guns, locks, and armor of a maggot. And it was way beyond their reach to deal with. Um, they didn't have any way of, of getting to it, but they did learn through the process that Emery took, that it was going to be a one thing that they had to eventually conquer. Both of the men that Emery had killed, they had taken their belts off. And so uh, they weren't threatened by Emery. And so that's why she was able to conquer and end the lives of both of these horrible people. They were all lashed because of Emery. They all got, they all got it. They were marched out of the school and lashed as we were made to kneel and pray and to scream out our sins, to beg forgiveness, and quote Bible verses on command. I kept thinking of of abuse and humiliation. It went on and on for hours, with our teachers taking turns and trading off and screaming their hate at us and calling it love. She, Lauren, had no voice by the time this was was over. Um, She said, I remember wishing I could die. I remember wondering if in the end, they would force us all to go the way Emery did, each of us taking a few of them with us. The other thing that starts to happen is they um, take outsiders. 
um, people who weren't from there. They take these these people, uh, their neighbors, uh, the Sullivans and the Gamma families have been rounded up and brought here. Some of their ch children used to attend our schools, but none were captured with us. And she's just really looking at the transformation and really claiming Acorn as dead. But at some point she is saying to herself, I have to write about Bancoli. She's like, I meant to do that yeah. when, I, when I began. I need to, but I don't want to. It just plain hurts too much. There is also an idea of, of kind of how the work goes. The Crusaders are making us enlarge our prison and enlarge our cabins, which are now their homes. And we work in the fields, turning in compost. We're planting herbs. We're harvesting winter fruits and vegetables and herbs and clearing brush from the hills. We're expected to feed ourselves and our captors. They eat better than we do, of course. After all, we owe them more than we can ever pay, you see, because they're teaching us to forsake our sinful ways. They burned all of their books and they burned all of their papers. They thought they had burned all of their papers. They thought they had burned all of their legal papers, but no, they didn't because they had already put their papers in a deposit box in Eureka. They had already made copies of those papers and buried them in different places. They had already scanned many of Lauren's um, books and writings. Uh, she had done that and hid them in different places and put them on disc. Uh, she had gotten, she had hid so many things so that they could still know who they are and there would be a history. So even though they burned those particular things, they were, um, they were copies. So give thanks for that. They also um, found a way to hide things inside of the room they were. And so several people put things that were precious to them. They just lifted up a four-board four and they were able to put um, Natividad's wedding ring. Ali put some drawings that Justin had done. And Noriko put in a smooth oval um, stone. So they, they had done that. But when they did that, they were able to discover that if you loosened up more floorboards, you would see the ground. And Allie got excited about that. And so they decided to, you know, let one of the, the smaller people test if they could get to the ground. And no, they could not. Um, it would be very painful for them to try. So, so much is gone. So much has been taken from us and destroyed. If we haven't found a way out, at least we found a way to keep us few small things. And she also contemplates, is this actually legal? Like, is, is what is happening to them legal in the, in the bigger world? Or is it just okay that it's happening? Um, there's laws and everything, but nobody is checking for it. And she also wonders about people in the community and they have all these customers and they have all these relationships and she just is trying to figure out what is happening there. Um, do people know that this has happened to them? Is anybody missing them? Like they actually, they actually did a lot. And so they just, it's, it's just very strange to her. Like, oh, well, this has been going on for a while. So she is just reclaiming the loss that, that they're suffering and talking to herself about it and being really conscious of what they do have. It's almost like these things go together. This, we don't have this, this ha that happened, this happened, this happened, these horrible things happened. We do have this. We do have this. We are aware of this. Here is some knowledge 
that we know. She notices that the teachers shift. They come and stay for a week and then they leave. And she's tracking their communication, just how how they do it. And she says, Earthsea lives. Uh, enough of us know it and believe it for it to live on in us. But Acorn is dead. And that's a, mm-hmm. that's a just, a, that is just such a, a horrible thing in our journey. I just remember early when I would yeah. read this and, and I think I was still like, but wait, can't we recover it? And can't we have it? And can't we win against these people at some point and then stay at Acorn? Like, can what, you know, what could possibly make us, you know, leave, but this will make you leave. Our seat lives. Acorn is dead. finally starting to locate her thoughts around Bancole and she's remembering that she saw him alive and she sees Harry and they're both working um, in the same field and they're not supposed to talk but they actually navigate um, the field enough where they can tell each other what happened. So Harry explains to her that they all got the collar thing and that Bancole just died. They think he had a, a heart attack and he wasn't able to withstand it. Yeah. And he didn't make sound or anything. He was just gone. And Lauren was able to tell him about Sarah. And when that happens, it is very similar to in Parable of the Sower when um, they both escape Robledo and it's yeah. like they have to tell each other all of these stories. Yeah. So the collar killed Bancole and the gas killed Zara. Zara, um, when after they have this, this long kind of conversation, they notice that they're getting looked at. And so they have to be careful, but not before Harry says, Olamina, we've, we've got to kill these bastards. And, and Harry just still has Harry inside of him. And, you know, in a moment like that, I am sure it is, it is grateful to see that his spirit still exists after everything they've been on. So they are starting to plan. First, we've got to get rid of these collars, she said. And then we have to we have to find out what happened to the kids. And do you think they're still alive? And they, they just take a deep breath to think, I'd give almost anything to know where my Larkin is and whether she's all right. And they take a pause. These people lie about almost everything. But there must be records somewhere. There must be something. We've got to try to find out, gather information seek weakness, watch, wait, and do what you have to to stay alive. That is how that chapter ends. Do what you have to to stay 
alive. So again, this is another one to just like take a moment, notice the spectrum of feelings that this chapter evokes, um, both like as someone who's reading it, as someone who's listening about it, um, just really tune in and notice like which there's so many different kinds of dramatic and traumatic things happening, which ones touch you most, which ones feel the most frightening, which ones um, feel the most like motivating, right? There's like, oh, fuck. Because <laughs> I, I read this chapter, and I'm like, mm-hmm. we need better plans. We need better plans and processes. Like it motivates something in me that's like, we need to make this impossible, um, both for the ways it's happening now and for um, it happening in the future. So just take a moment and feel into that for yourself. My first question for this one is rooted in the earth seed verse around ignorance, which is just where in your life or where in your work do you see ignorance afoot? Where do you see ignorance afoot? Do you see ignorance protecting itself? (laughs) I think that there's a way that we can automatically say our enemies are ignorant and not actually hold that that there can be ignorance Mm -hmm. in so many locations. Um, And it has very similar impact of a certain kind of superiority, a certain kind of anti-intellectualism and and other things can emerge from that. So just notice that. I really appreciated Larkin's reflections in this chapter. Um, it's kind of this idea that there was a positive experience that she could remember there and that what came after was not so happy. And it really, you know, you just feel the immediate like tenderness of that that parallel life if Acorn had not been attacked and how Larkin might feel about her seed and how she might feel about her mom and what was lost here. The question I have for you, because I was kind of amazed, yeah. you know, she was a baby baby when this happened and she remembers, you know, and we do have these memories from very, very early in our lives. So I would ask you, what are the earliest memories that you have of comfort of functionality, of happiness? Like what, how far back can you reach and touch into something that was like, Mm. well, that was good. That was good. This is something good. Even if you had a hard childhood, many of us had range, right? Like happiness with hardship or hardship with happiness. So just reach back. Mm. Do you have a, a solid one? Oh my like, God. Do you have something you're like, oh, yeah, no. I, you know, I, I was just <laughs> writing about this this morning. I was like, when I was three, I had to have a surgery. And, um, but what I was writing about is how much, how, how much my mom loved me and, and took care of me well. And so I was writing like these different things, you know, I slept on her stomach until I got too big to, big to sleep on her stomach. And that my I never went to sleep without a, a song if she was in the house, and um, but I remember being in a hospital and I was in a room with doctors, and she wasn't there and I was upset. I started crying, and then I could hear her voice in the um, hallway, and she said, "Who's messing with my baby?" It's like before I even That's saw funny. her, I could hear her, <laughs> and before she saw me, she could hear me, and she turned the corner. Now, I'm not really sure <laughs> exactly what she like, but she looked like God. She turned the corner and she walked into the room and everybody backed away from me. <laughs> and then she came and she got yep. me and she picked me up and 
And I look, and I just remember that we were united and we both looked at the doctors like, do we need to cut you or is everything going to be all right? <laughs> and they- Exactly. Yeah, y'all, y'all figured, figured it out. It out now. And I don't even know if they did anything <laughs> mm-hmm. to me, right? Like it wasn't like I was in danger, but I will never forget that, man. My mom was like, yeah. who do we need to take care of? I was the best. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, I love that like these memories of mm. very early life persist um, in spite of yes. everything that happens to us. And, you know, I also know that for a lot of us, like trauma can block out, you know, memory can block out whole sections of life. And I think there's some of that, that with Larkin that I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's more mm-hmm. that is like blocked out or blank blankened, you know, that, that, you know, fog that mm-hmm. can come in over memories. Um, that trauma trauma has closed off yes. some of them to her. Um, thank you for sharing that, love. I um, I have this, you know, we spoke about this in the last chapter, that everything that's happening to them are things that humans have done to other humans and are doing to other humans now, but particularly that white supremacy and um, in the U.S. and like Western imperialism has has done, planned, strategized, enacted. And so the question, just for your political education, you know, to sort of point you in the direction of like, if you if you don't actually know that, if you're listening and you're like, mm-hmm. what? This could never. The question is, do you know that this is how indigenous people in the U.S. were colonized? Literally, the children were stolen and put into re-education programs. And, um, and that practice is not ancient. That, that was happening mm-hmm. until quite recently. Right. So do you know that um, if you don't go and look up re-education schools, the boarding schools, mm-hmm. Indian boarding schools, um, and just like understand that that thinking is has been so prevalent, like that it is okay to take the children of someone who has different beliefs than you and different ways of moving in the world. Right. Um, and then do you also know that this is what Palestinians are living through right now, watching other people live right. in their homes, eat their food? Um, you know, harvest their fields, right? And and it's that's been going on for a long time, right? So getting some understanding of like, oh, this this is those are just two examples of many, many, many examples where mm. this is happening around us. Um, and when you feel that kind of shock about this book, I I hope that the move is not. Well, I'm going to be made still by that shock, or I don't want to go further there. But it's more like. Where and how is this happening? And are there places where I could be in, engaged in intervention? And I particularly want to ask that around, you know, when we witness Emory, Emory Morris' strategy to seduce and to kill and eventually to kill herself, we live right now in a world where women can be locked up and punished for defending themselves from or during a rape, right? If they hurt someone, if they harm someone, if they kill someone. Um like that's mm-hmm. actually happening right now. And the, the you know, what Emery did, if she hadn't killed herself, she would have been severely punished for that, if not killed by the captors. And they then turned and punished all the other women for her self-defense and for her, right, uh, move against them. So the question, which I think Toshi and I, <laughs> I feel like since the beginning of this, where we talk about this, but what are you doing to, to actually intervene mm-hmm. on rape culture. Like, what are you doing in your life to end rape culture? Especially 
if you're not a survivor, like if you're someone, you know, because I think sometimes it's like, oh, that's not an issue that touches me. But I'm like, if you're alive, you are surrounded by people it touches. So if it hasn't touched you directly, um, but it's touched everyone around you, right? Even if you're not a survivor, how are you working to end rape? And particularly if you are, or have been, or could be seen as a perpetuator, right? What are you doing to intervene within yourself and to intervene in community um, to stop the pattern? So just get in That's right such a, with that. a powerful thing because I, I, I think it's very um, difficult to surface it um, in our culture. It's like, like something that's happening all the time. And then it's also something that's secretly happening all the time. You brought up, you know, two really kind of giant examples of where people are being captured and being um, harmed and being stolen yeah. from. And um, but I get nervous around like all of the boarding schools and all of the different places where people have entrust, you know, and trusted people to give their um, kids a special uh, education. And it comes out years later that they were sexually abused and treated horribly. And, um, yes. and that how many people uh, in schools that have had a job as being in charge of the school for decades, and then they like retired, and then they're like, you know, that person was molesting or doing these kinds of things. Um, so that means Yes. As as you know, humans that have have put um, our people in places, we actually haven't asked questions. Like we've entrusted uh, people into these systems, and we haven't done our own research. It just yeah. it's it's such an epidemic around humans that yeah. And I went to a really groovy school, and my seventh grade teacher was a child molester, and he got caught. And I remember uh -huh. some of his assignments, and they were fucked up. Like <laughs> they were. They were fucked oh, wow. up. It wow. was like, and I'm going to say they were fucked up. Like some of the things he was asking us yeah. to write about and some of the things he was asking us. And we didn't really know seventh grade. Like, you know, we don't know. I mean, was miserable. Yeah. So I just horrible person. So I, I, I really am appreciative of this question of, of empowering yourself to when you can and when it's safe for you to do so. Um, and ask, what can I do in this situation? Yeah. And, you know, I do think there's something like, I think that the world will be in right relationship when the children are being taken care of well. I think that that's, that's the way we know. And so when we look at the world today, we're like, oh, we know that we're not right. You know, however we want to understand it. We're not right because so many children are hurt, harmed, inappropriately mm -hmm. touched, abused, kidnapped, stolen, mm -hmm. taken, killed, beaten, hurt. You know, it's just like we mm -hmm. hate our children. And, and then there's people who are like, oh, I don't do any of those things, but I send them away from me. You know, and mm -hmm. I think about that a lot. And I'm like, well, what is it we're up to if we're, if we're procreating people that we don't actually feel yes. invested in raising, you know, and in being a part of their lives? And you know, I don't want to put a whole judgment on anyone who ever does boarding school, but there is something really intriguing to me about the patterns of who has kids and why we have kids, why we bring kids into the world. And then how do we navigate bringing children into a world that we know is not safe, where we know yes. we're trying to break these patterns? Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot unfolds around this piece. I also, I also think this piece is so important to me that like, 
it can't just be survivors who have to take all the risks and do all the work. Because um, we, we literally can't, you know, it's just like getting triggered over and over again, <laughs> um, trying to save each other is wearing mm-hmm. us down too. I, I feel so moved by the Me Too movement because I feel like there's such a emphasis on the fact that like a huge portion of our work is healing. Like intervention is a part of it. But we're also like really having to heal ourselves, like heal these wounds so that we can be stronger warriors. So, you know, even if you're like, I'm not ready to start a group or do those kind of interventions, like you could be donating to Me Too and you'd probably, you know, just more aligned with what mm. you're what you need to be. So then the next couple of questions are just about the acorn, like this, this like thing that's happening with acorn, which is devastating. And one is, you know, the, the people of acorn have their paperwork, like important paperwork is backed up, is saved somewhere else in safety deposit box and caches around on the land. And so, you know, I always want to ask people like, do you have important papers in a safe location or multiple safe locations outside of your home? Like if something happens to your home or someone comes after your home, do you have the papers you need to prove that you are mm-hmm. who you are and you have what you have? And then do you have a vision for ACORN? I, I feel like I so often hear people like, yeah, ACORN. Like we need to make an ACORN. We need to build ACORN. We have friends who are building ACORN um, and I think are doing a great job of it. But I so rarely hear people talk about ACORN in its totality as, an, mm-hmm. as a cycle, as a narrative. Um, so how does reading this chapter, hearing that ACORN is dead, mm-hmm. interact with that vision? right? What are you doing and planning differently in your visions of ACORN, your practices of earth seed that could lead to yes. different outcomes? Because I, because I'm like, is it, is it more security? Is it more secrecy? Like what, you know, there's so many different possible yeah. moves. And I think this book does a great job of unveiling the distinctions around building an institution versus, you know, building ideological alignment towards a vision. And we need both things, you know, we need physical acorn spaces, but we also need like uh, people who believe deeply mm. in the vision. Absolutely. I also think that there is like, if you connect kind of some of the the energy around it, which is that, you know, sometimes when you run off and you, you revolution your place, like you don't, you don't think that you are being seen necessarily by people who you don't want to invite into your place you know so you're you're like i want to be seen by the people who i think would um, want to be collaborative in this space and i i think one of the, the the things about this is that you are absolutely seen like you are you are seen yeah. in a multitude of ways and because as we're building our spaces you know we're you know most of us are quite open about it you know, um, on public media. And I think also because of the revolution that we're in, um, mainstream media has picked up on all of our grassroots organizing. And for a lot of us, it just broadcasted everywhere. (laughs) And I'm half like, yay, and half like, no. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah. And not only the broadcasting, but like, this is where, you know, my continued, uh, Feelings about philanthropy are like always present with me, <laughs> um, you know, but I'm like, it's also like in order yeah. to make them happen, we're so like, oh, we have to do these massive yeah. campaigns to raise resources for things 
um, beyond what our community could resource and or we have to apply for grants and then they want to uplift and share the information or whatever. It's, um, so it's like, you know, you know, makes it more challenging <laughs> to create spaces that, 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 that are not um, yeah, overt and well-known. And, you know, it's not like they have a lot of media happening and they're right. always telling the stories. And it's people like, have, like, you know, you've heard about, yeah. like, the places that people with great wealth have built. And they're, like, underground and have, like, yes. things for, you know, 10 years. You can have this and this and this. And they're just, you know, huge facilities and things like that. So it's, it's America's going to jail. And <laughs> that's what it does. I definitely think about yeah. about how... This story really is a 360 degree story. It is, it's, a three, it's it like really all is. of the degrees, all of the, the whole one thing connects to another, connects to another, connects to another. I feel like the, it's easy to get swayed in the process of building. Um, and while we're building things, we often don't think about the fact that they will end, like the, the natural mortality yeah. of all things, you know, that like everything cycles back into the mm-hmm. land, cycles back into nature, cycles out of existence. And I think there's something around, you know, uh, and, and I think there's a brilliance, you know, like when, when Acorn was being attacked here, the move that Lauren made was right. like, we got to get away. And the plan that they had was we'll scatter, we have our stuff, you know, in different places and we can go. Um, but the attack was too swift for that. And it's just something, you know, I think about, right. It's just sort of like, oh, <laughs> you know, how do you orient as you're building something for the fact that it won't last forever, but that the justice, the vision, the brilliance that needs to last, that's what needs to continue on. And that mm-hmm. it's almost like turtling, you know, like how, what needs to stay in mm-hmm. your shell mm-hmm. at all times. Um, even as you fall in love yes. with land and be in a relationship yeah. with land. And we have so many siblings who are in right relationship and building relationships with land that are that so many of us are able to come to and, and benefit from and will benefit from. Um, but I'm like, I think it's a community task to figure out how we keep those spaces yes. safe. Good. So last chapter, I talked a little bit about like who I would be in that chapter. Um, and I'm curious, Toshi, for this chapter, as you're reading, who do you feel like you would be inside of this unfolding mm. drama? I feel a little bit like a, a Harry, I think. And, it, and Harry is not my natural position. Not at all. But I think I <laughs> could be, honestly, a Harry or Emery. I have a relationship to death that doesn't make me feel like I'm ending and I could see if I, you know, I, but I, yeah. and then also I think Harry is very good at doing like precise tasks and very good at like being inside of, of a system and still being himself. And I could see him operating yeah. as like, I'm not going to disturb not you know, I'm not going to disturb something. Um, and I, and he's a white man, yep. but I don't know that that helps him in this situation as much because he's, you know, they don't, yeah. they don't really care. But I, I think that there's some value to, like Lauren is pretending to follow the these rules and pretending to do these things and just obeying. And I think Carrie is yeah. a similar kind of person. And it's a difference between Lauren, who you know we we hear everything from, but Lauren, who is is trying to lead like all of the people. And I think 
I don't know much of, of mm-hmm. Harry's story, but that I could see that there is a way that he will have a functionality. And sadly, it's because he's been through this already and that he can, he, and he is, he is, and the thing about Harry is, is like, you know, if I go down, I'm taking some of you people with me. Like you're, we're, (laughs) you know, he's just like, you're going to get it. Like this, this, this is, this will happen. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think this is one of those interesting places where, (laughs) you know, like transformative justice is something I believe in so deeply. You know, I'm like, people can transform. But this is definitely one of those cases where you're like, but you can definitely come across people who the positionality that you're in is that they will not transform in this lifetime and they won't stop causing harm to you in this moment. And how do you navigate that? And there's transformative justice inside of a condition of like, we are being ruled by this state and we are trying not to put more people in the hands of it. But then there's moments like this where it's like the the justice that is available here in this is war. This is an act of war. These are positions of war. And so it's like if you have a nonviolent framework and nonviolence is what you're trying to perpetuate and you find yourself in a war, how do you navigate that? Right. I think a lot of people are drawn to ACORN because it's destiny based and community-based and there's a feeling of like we're building something new inside the shell of of what's happening here and it's not perfect but we we can all see how we can contribute you know and those kind of people are not the ones who are necessarily drawn into warrior um training and behaviors and that comes secondary and i i always feel like we miss our opportunity Mm -hmm. to have balance around these things i just wanted i want people to sit with that of like what is your acorn vision and how can your acorn vision be shaped and fortified um, by this, or as the book goes on, you'll see other or see strategies and maybe one of those suits you more. I mean, it's also because I think this is what's happening around the defund the police movement is that, you know, being asked to, I could just bring this up every episode, by the way, as our contemporary- And I will be right there with you. Thank you. Our (laughs) contemporary state of being, which is when we see these behaviors, you know, pop up and they cluster- you know, specifically recently, two attack on uh, two attacks on elders by the police. Um, a recent attack of you know tear gassing a child in the back of a police car. Um, the you know execution of you know a brother driving away in his car. That it, it can go on and on and on. But you're not. Yeah. We're, we're, you're just at a war. Like you're just. Yeah. You're, you're just at war with the with these people, and there's no way to do community outreach and collaboration with the police yeah. force that 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 doesn't even some of these cases happen before and they're just now coming to surface because the families have really forced police departments yes. to to reveal them so and that how happy in a, several of these occasions how the police celebrated the violence on the bodies of an elder yeah. woman with dementia like they were like we were excited about it so we are beyond yeah. we are the we're beyond the about uh, anything and we're just dealing with a collaboration of small militaries all over the country that we fund and yes. to be talked out yeah. of of that idea that there are these you know like I just said to my friend I was like I believe they're good cops they're just losing they're losing terribly yeah. like along with the rest of us and they should be on our side <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and you know, I think about that often is that I'm like, what makes you good 
Yeah. It's also your willingness to step outside of a paradigm once you realize that it is violent. It is, and it's, it's not, not good, working. right? So I'm like, I'm like, if you are someone who believes you're trying to do good and bring justice about inside of that space, like, and and you cannot seem to get yourself politicized to understand that it's the space, right? Like, it's not, it's not like one piece of policy or one bad apple, or it's the whole thing. And so it's like, you know, I, I could never quite put myself in those shoes, but I do feel like in those shoes, the appropriate move would be to leave that space and figure out what does it look like to be a mediator? What does it look like to be someone who's contributing to a culture of security and safety outside of that system? Like it's past time, you know, that's also the abolitionist work, right? It's like, if you, yes. if you really want to see this, the safety, if you really want to see people actually thrive, right? You have to actually get yourself out. That's also a defunding. So yeah. it's also, it's so interesting to sit inside of a, a politic that feels clear and understand that a lot of people don't necessarily get to spend a ton of time thinking about their politics. That's you know, right. like I, I like, we spend a lot of time on it. And one of the things I think that Earthseed is built around is spending time in conversation, in ideation, in building shared analysis so that when this goes down, you know, so it's, it's like the good and the bad, right? Like there's not other spaces of loud, but also there's deep study and scholarship inside the space that is there. The last question, now that I know that you're the Harry of this chapter, <laughs> the last question is the one that I asked last time. And I think I want to continue to ask because Harry is thinking of the future. And the question is, how do we stay connected to the future in a moment or a period of devastation um, when, you know, we are actively grieving people that we love, the death keeps coming, the powerlessness is being enforced all around us, but we have a destiny and we have a vision and like there's something in us that's like we have to stay alive. There's a purpose to it, right? How do we stay connected to the idea of a future in those spaces. How do you do that? Um, and I think the answers to that might be in like, how did you survive this past year? Mm -hmm. Who are you connected to mm -hmm. right now? Who do you feel like this is a connection that was worth like holding on to, deepening and building over this past year, right? This is the vision I have for my post-COVID life, <laughs> you know, which beach are you going to and so on and so forth, right? How did you do it while grieving? Mm -hmm. How did you do it through loss? How did you do it through change? So mm. um, that is chapter 12. It's interesting. I feel myself wanting to rush through these chapters. I'm like, hey, we're done. I mean, and I'm like, oh, right. That makes sense because these chapters are so they're difficult. So hard. They're, so, they're hard, so hard. And there's, but, they're so, yeah. you know, as we look at the, you know, the dates, I feel that, you know, one of the things that Octavia's work always does is, is, you know, trigger in a very extreme way possibilities that you don't want to really acknowledge and deal with and then say like, and there's something you could do about it right now. And, yes. and it's, yeah. and so like, whenever you're reading it, like when I, when we're reading, like right now we're dealing with the mediocrity of paid mm -hmm. politicians who are creating the policy for this future right, right. now. You know, and we are and we and we tend to uh, American politics, we tend to emotionally zigzag with um, mm -hmm. administrations. No president is ever going to be like what we all, what we need and want is systems horrible. 
but then we could like, <laughs> we could let off. We could be like, well, we look, we got, you know, 78 year old Biden into office and yes. we can see the results of our like decade long activism. We have one of the most diverse administrations on his side anyway, ever in the country's history. Yes. Um, a lot, we have somebody who is talking about some of the issues that we want. Well, we have to keep that line. And, right. you know, and so I right. think, and I'm not even like that person, right? But reading, <laughs> like, <laughs> like reading this shit, no, you're not. I am like, <laughs> we need to hold this line. Like we need right. to hold and not only hold, but widen and vibrate this line. Like it can't yes. go to sleep. And we just hope like some of these things happen because what, yeah. you, what I understand from this story is that the people who activate on that frequency never rest. They never, that their peace, their solitude, their prayer, their sacredness, their existence is based on that continuous level of violence. And that makes balance society for them. And ours is, is different. You know, we, we are not, that's not what we're trying to do, you know? So we, we're like, no, we, we, we're doing some different work, but I think that vibration is so strong and relentless and we have a vibration that's strong and relentless, but it is, it is nowhere concerned with trying to steal and take all of these, you know, people or elements or destroy or be destructive. And so ours is, we're trying to be inclusive and we're trying to widen the circle. It's slower work. It's, it's complicated work. It's it's different work. And I I mean, I love that like concept of we actually need to have our minds. We need to be able to consider that if the line doesn't get held, what's on the other side is not trying to get along. It's not trying to coexist. It's trying to completely destroy. Yes. Right. And it's so, it's abnormal, right? And I, because it's sort of like, what? Like, no one's really, I'm like, no, no, people are really spending all their time caught in the worst of human impulses. Right. Um, and I don't know yet really fully how we get people out of that place, Yeah. right? I do have each day a little bit more of that Harriet Tubman energy in me that's just sort of mm-hmm. like, Everyone's not going to make it like, to make it. future Earth, right? Everyone's not going to make it. It's, it has to be a choice. Um, and so how do you navigate being in that choice? And I, I hear what you're saying, which is part of it is saying we have to hold this line right now, you know, because to me, it's like what we're doing is actually creating a blockade behind which we can build something strong enough to yes. actually and change, I, right? Yes. And what I'm learning from Octavia is that it's not the way we think about lines. It's like, you know, exactly. when Reverend Alamina in Parable of the Sower said, when Lauren's like, we, sh- we should leave um, or we, na- we need to be prepared. He's like, no, we need to hold, hold the line. And if we just yeah. take our position and hold the line, then the next people can come through and then take it further. And I think the line yeah. is not a, like a line drawn in a stand. I think it's more of a line, of, a, an emotional and spiritual sonic yeah. and vibrational line it's something exactly. that is is fluid and adaptable and um and and i think for the you know maybe one of the most beautiful times with multiple generations of of people and an expansive circle around and interwoven 
in that line. Yeah. And so it yes. makes it different than like we have to hold a one thing as much as it's exactly it's, it's like it's we um, have to hold like a I mean it is you know I I love what I feel like you've been doing with the parable of the opera but parable the sower opera um in the community around it I feel like similarly what I've been trying to do with emergent strategy is like there's so many of us actually doing this that's and right. if we have enough shared breath shared song, shared language, shared practice, then we can start to recognize each other across our differences and recognize that the differences are, that's that's where our strength lies. Yes. Like their strength lies in a sort of solidity of, of sameness. Like we will all fall in line, lockstep and obey, right? Mm-hmm. We're like, we are, they are obeying, you know, whether it is God or the God of capitalism, there's an obeying happening that is just like unfolding but biodiversity always wins. It outlasts and it always wins and it reclaims and it restores and it is the resilience of our mm. world. And so well, I think of those rooms that we create and knowing that so many others are creating so many other rooms like that, right? Um, where it's like acorn floats among us, earth seed floats among us. You know, we breathe, we dream together, we are undrowning ourselves. You know, like all of this is is happening and I'm like, we are the biodiversity that, last yeah you know through this lifetime through the next one and on and on and i do believe in the longevity it's just like in the current moment holding on to like it really for me the line is one that extends like forward from my heart Mm. you know (laughs) i'm just sort of like i'm holding the line this way where i'm like it does me no good um to to be in a false understanding of my conditions right it does me no good to pretend like electoral politics will resolve this and keep us safe. That's right. It does me no good to ignore that keeping that space is at least um, espoused as progressive allows much more revolutionary work to happen than not. So mm. <sighs> I love talking with you too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. <laughs> this is our episode uh, for chapter 12. We want you to know that we are your host, Toshi. And me, Adrian. Uh, Octavius Parables is produced by Kat Aaron with help from Kinsey Clark. Our show art is by Krista Franklin. Music for Octavius Parables is Always See the Stars, written and performed by Toshi Regan. God is Changed, written by Toshi Regan, performed by Toshi Regan and Bernice Johnson Regan. And My Name, written and performed by Toshi Regan. You can find us on Twitter at OParables. And sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash oparables. Visit readingoctavia.com for transcripts. And we're really grateful y'all are in this hard scholarship with us. So have a good week. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change, change is you. The only.